Welcome to the Knowledge Entrepreneurs Show, where we celebrate the innovators driving change in the education industry. At Edison OS, we've worked with over 500 knowledge entrepreneurs to turn their edtech ideas into profitable businesses. In today's episode of the Knowledge Entrepreneurs Show, we have Nicole Zoko as our guest. Nicole Zoko is an education coach and consultant with over 10 years of experience in the industry. She helps visionary entrepreneurs and coaches build premium courses that increase their income, impact, and time to live their dream life. With her signature methodology, which includes education best practices in neuroscience, she helps her clients design, build, and deliver engaging courses that achieve results for learners and turn them into raving fans. Hi, Nicole. Good morning. Uh, welcome to the Knowledge Entrepreneur Show. And thank you so much for taking time out uh, to join me on this podcast. Of course. Thank you for having me here. It's a pleasure, Nicole. Um, Nicole, uh, before we uh, start off, before I start asking you questions about teaching and online infrastructure and stuff like that, um, I'd love for you to walk us through, uh, you know, your journey uh, up until here and, you know, what led you to kind of take up whatever you're doing now with respect to the online teaching community and stuff. Amazing. Yeah, I can definitely do that. Um, yeah, so I come from the trenches of the secondary classroom. Um, so I, I was a classroom teacher for six years. Prior to that, I was um, working inadvertently in education as well, uh, doing my undergrad and when I studied abroad. Um, and I wasn't a teaching major by any means. Um, I just, I actually kind of fell into teaching. And um, so once I kind of got burnt out in the classroom, um, I started training other teachers and as I did that, I realized, you know, so many of us have high expectations for how we teach children, but we have such low expectations for how we teach adults. And right. I remember, I remember sitting in professional development and just being bored to tears and I was like, how, how can you tell me to be engaging, to engage my 15-year-olds, but I'm literally falling asleep when you're trying to teach me? So right. um, anyway, so I, I you know, started training teachers, developed a passion for that, and then completely left education. And I did that so I could travel the world. Um, and as I traveled the world, I discovered the, well, the pandemic happened. And then... Um, and I discovered that I was surrounded by all these incredible entrepreneurs and coaches who were creating courses right. and they were doing it in the same format that the boring professional development took on. And I was like, no, no, I can't, I can't let this happen. Um, so then I stepped into this role of being an education consultant and coach, uh, specific, specifically helping entrepreneurs build courses that actually get results for the clients. Great. So uh, you said, you know, you spent uh, six years um, as a classroom teacher, right? Mm -hmm. um, and uh, did the, uh, the whole virus uh, have an impact, you know, the whole lockdown or the whole period of that coronavirus that I think the whole planet underwent 
did that uh, play a role in any way for you to kind of transition from a classroom teacher to someone who's doing things online? It actually, um, it didn't directly, like it didn't get me out of the classroom. I actually chose to leave the classroom in 2019 after the school year ended. And then I traveled the world for eight months and I was going to actually try to break into marketing. And um, I found a job in New Zealand. I had everything set up and I was in Bali the t- at the time when New Zealand shut their borders. And so I was kind of stranded, if you will, in Indonesia. And so that motivated me. I was like, okay, I got to find something that works um, for me. And that's when this education consulting came up. So in a way, it forced me into building my own business, um, which I probably would have never done if the pandemic never happened. Okay, great. So while the coronavirus broke out, you were in uh, Indonesia. Yes, I was in Bali. Wow, that's somewhere around 2020 March, right? Yes, exactly. Wow. Okay. Um, so, okay, great. That that must have been like, I mean, when I say great, it's not in a positive way, right? It's about the the situation is like extraordinary. It's not a normal situation because I think pandemic is a time. Uh, it's for anybody. It's better to be close to home. Um, and definitely not for somebody from the Western Hemisphere to be, you know, stranded in the Eastern Hemisphere of all the places. And um, so, and then you're saying, you know, that kind of forced you to do things while you were there, you know, while you were stuck and stuff like that. So um, could you could you walk us through those initial days? You know, what was actually going on in your mind? Because the reason I'm asking you this question is, everybody's got starting problem. A lot of them. I mean, I don't want to say everybody. A lot of us have got starting problem. You know, we've got grand ideas and stuff like that. But when it comes to taking the first step, we are stuck. So how did you deal with that? And um, how did you kind of cross that and see yourself here now? Yeah. So um, I first off, I want to say that I didn't think of this idea of stepping right. into consulting by myself. It actually came from a friend um, and she was like, hey, you know, you know, all these coaches and entrepreneurs, like why, why haven't you been helping them? Um, this is a great idea. And so I think it took someone else noticing my skills and my assets um, and my experience to really be like, okay, this is a consideration. And, and I remember that was probably like October of 2020. And right. I set out to build, to start building my business. And I had no idea where to start. I just, everybody that I knew who was an entrepreneur, they were just talking about their business. So I was like, okay, I could, I could do that. I could talk to people. And so that's what I did for a few months. And then January of 2021, I got my first client and it's all been, I wouldn't say downhill from there, but just working with more and more clients. So, so I think the biggest barrier was just being patient and trusting that process. Um, that, all the seeds that you plant, all the work that you put in doesn't necessarily translate to 
new clients or income immediately, it's, it's all about watering those seeds, having faith that they will grow into that giant tree, that vision that you see for your business and yourself. Right. I heard you say, you know, in 2021 January, you found your first client. And did you say downhill from there? Yeah. Yeah. So as in like the, the effort, once you get that first client, you're like, okay, I got this. Right. And it doesn't get necessarily easier, but it's definitely not harder. You know, the first, the first step is always the hardest. Um, right. So that's why I said it's it's downhill, but not really. It's more like a a plateau <laughs> in some ways after that. Got it. Got it. Okay. Yeah. Uphill maybe, but yeah, I think uh, you probably uh, said downhill from a point of view that you know you had to do a lot of work, and then you know from a perspective where it got challenging for you to kind of figure out stuff that you have to do. But um, another one of the things that we touched upon um, while we've spoken is first client, right? For anybody who's starting out on their own, one of the biggest milestones is landing your first client. So uh, how did that go about? Was it by chance or, you know, did you have a proper plan and then, you know, you got your first client? Uh, because um, the first time, the biggest difficulty is having to show them what you've done in the past while you've not really done anything for somebody else for you to show, right? You don't even have a testimonial. So how do you get them to trust you um, to kind of, you know, give that task to you, even if they're not going to pay you? Let's, let's, you know, keep that aside for now. Yeah, I, I think it's knowing who you want to work with, what they value and how that aligns with what you can provide. So for me, the essence of who I am is I love learning and I want to make sure that everybody else has an incredible learning experience, no matter what space they're in. And, right. you know, that's how I believe that's how I landed my first client is my passion talking about what I do, but also sitting and listening and asking questions and figuring out, oh, there's an alignment here. Um, my very first client, Jamie, he, he's passionate about helping people. And so when he was talking about building a course, of course, he wants to make sure that the course is helping people. He doesn't want them to just buy it and then fall off, which happens with majority of courses, right? 10% completion rates on average. That's absolutely insane. So right. that resonated. Um, and so I think just staying true to that, uh, is how you land your first dream client. Got it, Nicole. So uh, this this happened uh, by, you know, someone referring you. Was Jamie a friend of friend? Or, you know, how did you exactly find Jamie? Like, you know, if you can talk through the nitty gritties, like were you, you know, doing reels on social media and then he stumbled upon your content? That's what I'm trying to understand. Yeah. So actually, I met him in person. So I met him at the gym. Um, oh, great. Okay. Yeah. And, and I, that's actually one of the most powerful things um, in my business, even though I work primarily online with my clients. Right. Meeting people in community spaces that share the same values as me um, and as my business has, has been astronomical. So 
and I'm, I should also mention I am a CrossFitter. So that community is even okay. more tight knit. Um, and right. so you just get into conversations and that's how, that's how Jamie and I met and he was intrigued by what I did. And, and then it just went from there. This is great. Uh, you know, uh, an idea I just got, uh, I was totally, you know, uh, open-minded. I had no idea, you know, how, what would, what would your approach have been to get Jamie? But then, you know, people who are listening and probably people who are, you know, thinking about not creating courses, but helping people who are creating courses. The moment Nicole said, Jim, I, I lurk around on Twitter and on Instagram as well. And the moment you said, Jim, I thought of all those people who talk about weight loss and they all have their courses, right? So I think Jim is like a very obvious, uh, place uh, you know if people are really looking for course creators i think in the health industry uh, domain probably gyms could be one place and uh, all these health retreats and all of those things so uh, what i got so far from you nicole is that you know easier way uh, is you know social media can come later but beginning just go into these places in person because nothing ever impacts a conversation uh, like it does when you do it in person yeah, very true. And it, I mean, it's moral of a story. It's to be involved, right? And you never right. know, you never know what a small conversation or a small act of kindness will do. So even if someone isn't directly interested in your services, they're going to remember you and what you stand for, and they're going to recommend you to a friend. And that's actually how my business has grown is, is by referrals. I, you know, I'm two years in and I launched a website and I'm already redoing it like three months ago. Like, you know, right. I, I didn't need the website because it wasn't necessary. People were talking about what I did. Right. Great. So, uh, Nicole, before we go any further, uh, you know, can you uh, explain to us, you know, elaborate a little bit on us about what is it that you exactly do when you say you're a teacher trainer consultant? Because it's a very broad term, right? Uh, but then, you know, a lot of things come under it. You know, please feel free to uh, talk about it in as much depth as you want. Yeah. So as an education consultant and coach, I help entrepreneurs and coaches build premium courses that can increase their income and their impact. And something that all solopreneurs that I meet desire is more time. And that's what courses can bring to their business. And um, they don't necessarily have the capacity to hire uh, a team of instructional designers to create their course. So I work in a very intimate setting to ensure that their courses are engaging and going to sell again and again and again and create results for the clients. Got it. So, uh, Nicole, when you say that, you know, you make sure that their courses are engaging and uh, all the other things. So there are two things, right? What I understand... Uh, you know, from whatever you said, is there are two things to creating course. One is the content that, you know, your expertise about a particular topic. But I think a way you come into play is how that is presented to people or how that is kind of structured and, you know, the method in which it is transmitted to people is what matters. 
is also something that matters. So if you have to, you know, kind of split it in percentages, you know, okay, you know what, this is how much weightage your expertise needs. And, you know, this is how much weightage you need to give to the way it's transferred to the people. So what would it be? Would it be like 50-50? Or are you going to surprise me here? Oh, <laughs> this is this is so interesting. Um, I've never thought of it in terms of weight. Um I've, I've thought of it in terms of investment. Um, sure. So, I mean, on my end, if people are investing a huge chunk of time and money, right. the delivery is probably like 75 to 80%. Wow. Okay. In my opinion, as, as a teacher, right? Right. Um, if you're not investing any money or very little time, so for example, if you're going to YouTube or you're on Instagram or scrolling through TikTok, right. the delivery doesn't matter as much. It's just going to be purely focused on the content. I mean, okay. delivery is going to be entertaining, right? And, right. and right. that's what's going to get more views. But I think it's it's more of an even spread, like 50-50. Um, yeah, but you don't, I mean, this is the reason I mentioned this before. Course completion rates are on an average of 10% for courses. Right, right. The content is not the problem because the content, everybody can Google content. There's no new content. Um, there's right. only new ways of delivering it. And if you deliver it well, then that's when you get increased completion rates. And that's when learners get results. Right. Okay, got it. So you say um, when it when it uh, comes to creating content on social media handles like you know TikTok or Instagram, you're saying it could be fifty fifty uh, because the delivery is anyway going to be entertaining and content is what's going to matter. Uh, but when it comes to creating courses, you're saying the delivery is going to be somewhere about 75, 80%. Your content is just 20%. As you said, there's content already. You don't have to go create your original content. So when you talk about delivery, there is so much to it, right? There is, let's say, you know, on a very broad level, uh, there's the audio aspect of it. There's a video aspect of it. And um, then the visual aspect of it. The reason I'm talking about video and visual separately is because video, I'm assuming we're talking about the person who's being, you know, who's going to be delivering it. And then the visuals are about, you know, it could be graphics. So, you know, there's again, so many types. It could be whiteboard animation or it could be, you know, real-time animation, so much of it, right? So when there is so much of choice out there, right, uh, how do you uh, kind of, help a client zero down on, okay, what's the right method for, for a particular course creator? Does it depend on the content or, you know, can you, can you please talk through this? Yeah. So content is what people default to a lot of times, but really what matters the most is your dream learner or because I work with a lot of coaches and entrepreneurs, their dream clients. So knowing who that person is inside and out, is what mm. is going to shape your entire course and how you deliver it, what content you include, what content you leave out, the pacing, whether you um, right. slides or animations, like, it, and it's very different. So there's a, a client that I've been working with um, 
And she actually has, she's going to be working with both parents, mothers, and their daughters. And so we have to know what type of learner and person the mother is, and we have to know what type of learner and person the daughter is. And so both of these feed into this concept of not only like delivery, but also support. How much support do you give and in what types and what formats? You mean to say in addition to the courses that you're offering that are going to be recorded, uh, you're also going to be supplementing it with your time as a course creator. So. Yeah, some, sometimes that's definitely the case. I, I think um, there's community and connection is instrumental to learning. Right. No matter what, you know, we've, we've been taught in school, um, we have to learn in connection with others whether that's right. other learners or a teacher or a mentor. Um, and so every single course should facilitate that, whether that's a live group call or offering office hours just on maybe a Slack channel or um, doing a question and answer session. Like these are extremely powerful tools and that's what's going to help learners when they get stuck, when they're, unmotivated. It's going to motivate them to come back because I'm not just coming back for me. I'm coming back for my fellow learners. I'm coming back because I know that my teacher and my course creator cares. That's what keeps people going, not just the content. And this is part, this is why delivery is so incredibly important um, because it keeps people coming back. Great. Nicole, I didn't originally have this question, but you know, uh, after we've spoken so much, I have this question now because you said there are uh, different types of learners and it depends upon what kind of learner the course creator is creating the course for. Now, I want to ask you, who are the kind of course creators that you are most willingly to work with? And, are you, and you know, who are those different kind of course creators from your point of view, uh, from, say, from two years of your working in this domain? Oh, my gosh. Um <laughs> So like, who is my favorite person to work with or who do I normally work with? No, the type of course creator. Okay. Okay. Let me, let me, you know, uh, give you an example. Uh, having been a wannabe creator myself, yeah. I've always, you know, uh, let's say um, sometimes I think, you know what, don't bother about what the delivery is like just get your product out there you know do a dirty job and at least get it out there that's a good first step and uh, sometimes you know uh, you're you've got a bunch of obstacles when you're looking to create that great stuff you know you may not have the subscription for a certain tool or you may not have a certain camera or a certain thing like that because of that you know you just kind of have a limitation on which would create a course and then you know there are other course creators you know who'll take as much as it takes to kind of make sure they get the kind of output that they want but that doesn't mean to say you know that's the right way that's you know uh, without any research it may not even need so much time but then you know there's a the right balance right i'm just giving you an example and then there are some people who just take a whiteboard they just have a marker they stand in front of a marker write it and then they make a course out of it so yeah i don't know if it helps the type of course creators that i described but, you know, you can obviously uh, add to the list and then, you know, probably share with me who's your dream type of course creator. Oh, okay. I, 
I want to address something first before I go into sure. Dream Course Creator, because I love that you you pointed out something that I um, I tend to think is a very small part of course creation. And right. that's the, the polished um, video editing and like just really thinking through like what it looks like. Right. Um, and when I think of delivery, I'm not thinking of that polished, the polished mm. Got it. I'm, I'm thinking about the order in which the content is organized and designed. Right. Right. I'm thinking about pacing of learning. I'm thinking about support and community. I'm right. thinking about um, what activities are you asking them to do once you teach them content. That right. is all about, that's teaching delivery in my head. Um, Actually, and- thank you for clarifying that because my next question was going to be that, hey, you know what, it's so contradictory because you spoke so much about delivery and then right now you're talking, okay, and great, yeah. Yeah, yeah. It's just, it, it's teaching delivery. That's very, very different from like this polished business thing. Um, right. I would I, like, I record my courses on Canva with my face in, in the corner. Like, right. I don't have a, a fancy setup behind me. Like I just, it's about, it's about the essence of who I am as a teacher and right. ensuring that that delivery is what reaches learners. And Learners aren't paying for polished videos. They're paying for well-delivered and well-taught content. Right, right. So, um, but I, <laughs> so I would say if, if I'm thinking about like the course creators that I love working with, yeah. it's really the people who are passionate about what they do and ensuring that people do get results, that they don't, drop off. Um, and they, that this comes off in all aspects of their business. Um, they care. And so a lot of times they've failed a lot of, uh, a lot of ways, <laughs> um, whether that's launching a course before and then absolutely flopping or, right. um, building businesses. Um, almost all of my clients have had multiple businesses in, uh, in different areas. So I think I I really love working with these people who are passionate and just failure. They fail constantly, which encourages them to get up and try again. Um, But on the learning side, like the way that they learn and the way that they teach, they're very, they're, all of them are varied. Um, I'm working with a client now who is very visual. Uh, She needs to write and doodle everything um which okay. can be challenging when you're working with someone online but i make it work right because that's that's who right. she is um whereas another client uh is she loves lists and so i have to um help her be more concise instead of writing pages and pages of, of lists and text so Got it. Probably I also, you know, asked you that question because you spoke so much about delivery. I was wondering, you know, okay, you know, Nicole's going to first kind of have a discovery call and then figure out, hey, you know, what's your mode of delivery? And um, you know what I mean. But now um, 
probably another aspect is, you know, do you care about what's their uh, ticket size going to be like? You know, what's the price they're going to put out uh, for each of their courses? All those things, does it matter to you um, for you to be able to decide whether they're going to come on in as your client or not? Um, it's, it's often not, it doesn't matter in entry to working with me. That's something right. that we, we talk about, uh, right. within my one-to-one container. So, right. and that's purely off of the back of who is their dream client? What is the value that they're offering? And the sweet spot of what's going to motivate people to show up, you know, because no matter how much I want to say money doesn't matter, it right. does. It does correlate. You know, if you buy something for a cheap price, you might forget that you have it. But if you buy something for a price that's like, eh, that's, that's a stretch, you're more likely to show up, right? Right, right. So, but that doesn't, that doesn't bar people from working with me, whether they're charging dollars for for a master class or 3000 pounds for a course. Got it, Nicole. Nicole, um, you know, I, I, I'll take that, you know, you've been doing this for, let's say a couple of years now. Right. And, uh, one of the things that people tend to move towards this kind of focus and narrow down into a niche, uh, when they start where, you know, when you're, when they're especially doing a servicing sort of a, type when you when you know when you're like uh, selling your time uh, selling your time and then you know your expertise with people because with time you're going to become expert with something that you do repeatedly over and over again so as a consultant uh, have you seen a pattern um, when it comes to the domain in which your clients belong to say for example the first client Jamie you said you met you met him at a gym so he's probably from the fitness industry or the you know health industry so is there a pattern like that or, you know, what's the, what's the spectrum of the domains uh, that your clients come from and how does it impact your business? Yeah. So um, a lot of my clients are business, business coaches, um, right. of some type, uh, but there's, they really range. Um, I get a lot of um, holistic health practitioners so right. I've worked with um, Reiki masters. Um, I'm working with a um, wellness, uh, a feminine wellness coach right, right now. Um, influencer coaches, um, crypto experts, forex experts. Um, so it's it's super varied. Um, but all of the people that I work with are heart centric and truly care about the, the impact that they have in addition to right. bringing in more income for their business. Got it. And um, Nicole, what's the, you know, model in which you work with these people? Like, you know, is it about um, a set amount of hours that you commit with them or is it about, or, you know, is it based on the action that you complete at the end of your engagement or is it a continuous membership sort of a thing? Can you throw some light on that? Your uh, model, especially. Sure. Yeah. So I, uh, my one-to-one coaching container is three months long, 10 sessions, and we design it 
very specifically to build the course that my client wants to create. So a lot of times that will start with um, the dream client. Actually, all of the time, not not a lot of times, it will start with the dream client. Um, And then we build out from that dream client a delivery plan. So we talk about platforms, we talk about pricing, we talk about um, modality and format. So videos and, you know, workbooks and quizzes, onboarding surveys, feedback surveys, all that fun stuff. Um, and then, then we start to get into the nitty gritty of designing. Um, we, uh, design the course map, the course goals, and then we, we use best practices of instructional design and we work backwards from there. Um, and that's the majority of, of my work with my clients is, diving into the things that they wouldn't have if they would have taken, if they would have worked with someone else. It's looking at each and every lesson and being purposeful. What are the outcomes? How do you move through the teaching? What application activities do you have? Are people going to be engaged in this or are they going to be bored? (laughs) Um, And what community elements do you need to add in to support them? Got it. Now, would it be correct, would it be accurate if I summarize the work you do like this? So what Nicole does is Nicole works with people, solopreneurs, you know, who've got some knowledge to offer to the world and they come with their expertise in any form. But then, you know, Nicole works with them at that point and then uh, helps them organize and structure and create content up until the point of them launching the course. Would that be accurate, Nicole? Yeah, exactly. Okay, great. Okay, so um, Nicole, uh, one of the things that I've observed on social media is people talking about just launching a course, right? There are experts helping people out there just to launch the course rightly. Forget about all the other things that we do before launching the course. Let's say you have your course ready. They talk only about launching the course. Now, since you're not the person who's just talking about launching a course, right? You're talking about content delivery, which involves so many other things. It's not even about the polishness, which I thought it was initially. So uh, what do you think about how important is that launching aspect? Well, I mean, I think it's it's super important because you want people on the other end to actually be learning from you. Um, but I think right. that oftentimes people overcomplicate launching, okay. um, especially when they're okay. launching for the first time. And mm-hmm. a, what I would call a beta course, when you run through okay. your course the, for the first time with learners, you don't need very many people. And you right. need, I mean, depending on who, how big your audience is and how many mm-hmm. perhaps one-to-one clients you're working with, as low as five right. people could be extremely powerful in your initial launch because you're able right. to get intimate and in-depth feedback from those five people. Now, right. when it comes to relaunching, the idea would be that you're already confident in your product because you've gotten feedback and you've made changes in the learning experience that you know are going to help your dream client achieve results. 
So launching that should be easier because you know that it works, right? And that's when launch experts come in and say, okay, this is how many emails you should send out. These are the freebies. This is the funnel, da, 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 because you have a product that you know is viable and is going to sell and achieve results, period. Right, right. So, great. Those are my thoughts. so uh, <laughs> great, great. So, Nicole, now obviously, right, there are, uh, if a course creator needs help, uh, more often than not, it's my assumption, please correct me if I'm wrong, because you must be definitely knowing better. The most toughest period for somebody to be on their own and not figure out things except for the expertise that they have on a subject is all the other things, right? Uh, so, uh, do you, are most of your clients first-time course creators or you have uh, equal distribution uh, between first-time course creators and people who've already created courses, but then, you know, who let's say who who's creating it for the fifth, sixth time, even do they also seek out help in this uh, matter? Um, so majority of my clients are first-time course creators. I have worked with course creators who've built courses in the past, but they've flopped um, and they can't figure out why. Um, but oftentimes those courses are like pushed to the back of their, their business and they don't revisit them. They want to create a brand new product. Um, and I actually, I've done a few course audits of people who, who right. currently have courses. Um, but oftentimes if their course is already selling, then they don't pay attention to the other metrics. So a lot of times sales metrics are vanity metrics. Mm -hmm. Um, oftentimes course sales is what people push a lot because of course they want to they want to sell their course. You know, they want to increase their right. income. But the problem is, is just like on Instagram, um, vanity metrics can be seen at, can be categorized as likes and, um, and things that you can see from right. the outside views. Um, but there's more in-depth data that you can find. So on, on Instagram, we're looking at how many shares, how many saves, we're looking at invisible influence, right? Of, you know, oh, you know, this person mentioned this product. I'm going to go check it out. And these are things that we can't sometimes measure. With courses, one of the biggest and most important metrics is course completion. And we see that right. through testimonials and referrals, so we can also, we can measure, you know, have they completed the course um, through data, uh, but referrals, sometimes we can't, unless you have a, a referral system or affiliate codes, we can't determine that, right? And that, those are the things that we should be paying attention to because that's what's going to scale your business and make it sustainable over time. That's what's going to make your course sustainable over time and right. not flop after an initial launch or you have to keep on putting energy into every single launch. It should be on autopilot because your course is so good. People can't stop talking about it. 
Got it. Nicole, another thing about uh, first-time course creators is, you know, they probably do not have any uh, audience to engage with. Let's assume, you know, they've got literally zero audience, but they have a beautiful course they've created. So what's the starting point for them, according to you? Offer help. <laughs> I, I literally, um, I just polled my audience uh, yesterday about what they need more okay. of in their business. Right. And, right. Um, and they said the options were um, more leads, um, more accountability, right. and scaling. And majority right. of people said more leads. And and really what it's about is helping people understand what you do by actually doing. <laughs> so every opportunity that you get, you step into that space and be like, hey, as an education coach, I think I can help you with this. Would you, would you like some help? I do this all the time with my friends, right? So I'm really good at um, mapping out ideas. And so many of my friends who started new businesses, I asked them, hey, can I help you with this? This is part of what I do in my business. And right. Right. almost always they say yes. And so them understanding, them letting me help them for free, right? They have a better right. understanding of what I do. And so the next time that someone talks to them about course creation or starting a new business, they're like, Hey, you should, you should talk to Nicole. I'll, I'll uh, connect you. And that's how you build a community. So even if you have zero followers, right, that doesn't matter. You know, five people, you know, 10 people. And as long as you're talking about what you're doing and offering help, people will start to notice, know what you do, and then actually go to you to ask for help. Interesting. So you're looking at course creators or people, you know, who are out there to help people with some topic or some problem. That's what eventually uh, turns around into a course. So uh, to all the course creators out there who might be listening to this, this is what you're saying, right? Please correct me if I'm uh, wrong or please add if I'm missing out something. So as a course creator, if you're starting off from scratch, zero followers and stuff like that, you go and probably look for people who are facing problems in the domain that you're creating a course in and then offer to help them and maybe help them for free and maybe give your course away for a very uh, throwaway price. Uh, as uh, you know, it could probably, they, they could be your first um uh, endorses or something like that. You know, they could probably recommend your course to somebody else. So, so that's, you're saying that could be a good starting point. Um, now, Nicole, um, is this only for people, you know, who probably are, are not looking at paid marketing, like, you know, paid ads on social media? Or uh, is it irrespective of people, you know, you're doing paid marketing or not, you know, this is a good way to start off? I, I think that this is a good way to start off Okay. Regardless. Um, yeah, I think this is, this is how you build a business is word of mouth. It's the most powerful tool in marketing. And also we, we tend to underutilize it um, in this day and age because we're so focused on social media. But at the end of the day, this is, if we think about why influencers have so much influence, it's because it's about word of mouth. <laughs> it's right. about 
because we trust, we trust them because we built a relationship with them by following them. And we know who they are and how they live their lives. Like that is the new wave of word of mouth. And if you're not already an influencer, then you use the old school way of word of mouth because it still works. <laughs> right. Right. Go ahead. Um, sorry. Can you repeat your question again? No, I think uh, you answered my question, actually. Uh, okay. So my question was this, right? Uh, or probably, you know, let me let me uh, uh, paraphrase my question here, because uh, what you said uh, so far did obviously, you know, address its own point. But let me uh, ask you the difference or uh, how much of a split there must be between organic marketing and probably, you know, paid marketing. And um, for people who start off at zero, uh, is will paid marketing actually help or not? I mean, I think that paid marketing could always help, um, but it has to be, you have to be marketing the right things. Um, from all the business right. coaches that I've worked with, um, they have always right. said that you should be marketing something that's further up on the funnel, at the top of the funnel, something that is free and high value that marketing your actual course doesn't work very well unless you have a you already have influence of some kind um so an amy porterfield paying for marketing is very very different from someone who has zero following right can you uh you know kind of give an example to uh, drive this a little, little, you know, further. Please. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. So let's, I... let's, let's, uh, let's uh, take an example of an Amy Porterfield and let's mm -hmm. take an example of somebody who's, you know, who's not known at all, you know, who's just coming into the market. They've got a great content, but you know, how would the marketing vary between the two of them? Sure. So Amy Porterfield, she might, um, advertise, uh, her digital course Academy DCA. Um, right. because she is already a well-known name in the course creation industry, right. people already give her authority. And so the people that, right. if she's advertising for DCA specifically, people are going to click on that ad because they trust her. Right. 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 And as a result, yes. they're going to trust whatever product she provides on the flip side. You take someone who doesn't have that much authority or influence um, or recognition, right. I would say. Um, they're not a, a, like a household name in that industry. If you're advertising, they're not going to click on an ad because of your name. Yeah. They're going to click on the ad because it helps them. Whatever product you're advertising is helping them solve a problem. And right. they want access to the answers to help solve their problem. Problem. Right. Right. So if they have to, once you click on that ad, um, if they have to pay, it has to be enticing enough for them to pay. But it's really easy for them to say, oh, I clicked on this ad and it's for free. Sweet. I'll give my email. Give me the, give me the answers that I want and need. Got it. Got it. 
And then you nurture that relationship and that community connection, coming back to connection again, you offer them more free education. You offer them opportunities to work with you and to show them what you do and how you do it. And then you sell to them. And this is how, this is how Amy Porterfield built her business. Right. And this is how, Tony Robbins built his business and so many more successful people in the entrepreneurial and coaching space. Got So, uh, for people, you know, who are listening in and, you know, who are probably just starting off trying to sell a course, their first course, I think the key here is to not sell your course, but then, you know, sell some, not sell, uh, give out some value. Uh, not an exchange for money, but an exchange for their someone's time or someone's email so that, you know, you get that uh, extra time to prove, to show it to them why you're probably worth some amount of money if they uh, go ahead and decide to uh, buy your course. And um, Nicole, there's another thing that I've, uh, you know, come across, uh, especially for people who sell courses. You know, this is something that I come across very often. They say, Sometimes you just have to give away all your content for free and uh, maybe charge people to apply uh, the content to solve their problem. Um, is this something that you employ or do you, where do you think this can be applied well? Or do you even think this is feasible? Oh, I have... I have um a lot of opinions about this. Uh, okay. You sell the what, or you you give the what for free, and then you sell the how. I completely disagree with this. Um, and Wait, this, yes. this is founded in what I've learned from the incredible entrepreneurs that I've worked with and that I'm friends with. Um, so I, I've said multiple times, in order to get people in your community and to get them to know what you do and how you do it, um, to give away, right. To sit there and, and offer your help. And it's the same concept when, when we formalize our business, when we are trying to, um, uh, sell a course, um, we want to give the, what, and the how, but the amount of it that we give is smaller because you can't, you can't, I, I absolutely hate the webinars that, that information dump and what they're doing neurologically is they're overwhelming you with knowledge and concepts without any way you feel trapped by that information. They literally trap you with knowledge. And then at the end of those webinars, they say, buy into this course. Right. And what happens in the brain is you're pushed into a fight or flight response. Your cortisol skyrockets. And what you do is you have to make a decision to buy. Oftentimes it's a deal, right? Or to completely turn off and you're like, nope, I'm not, I'm not going to do it, do this. Um, so you polarize. If, if you're a course creator, you're, po- you're polarizing your dream client and you don't want that, right? 
You don't want to play with their chemicals in order for them to buy. Because what that means is if they buy based off of the chemicals, the chemical situation that you create, then they're not necessarily going to finish that course. Right. Right. And that's the whole, that's the bottom line, right? Is that transformation. So you want, you want people to purchase who are going to stick with you throughout the entire course, give you testimonials and rave about the course. So you're playing the long-term game. And if you're playing this, I'm giving you the what, but not the how you have to buy the how, then you're playing a short-term game. Right. And we know that short-term games aren't good for business. We want to play the long-term. This is a very interesting perspective. Uh, You know, thank you for this because I've been like, thinking about this and sometimes when you're desperate um you know when you've been stuck in a rut following all the right things sometimes you know you tend to try some radical stuff and you know probably that's where i was coming to you with this question mm-hmm. um nicole uh, my uh, you know next question is going to go away a little bit from so so far we've spoken about the content uh, you know the delivery and, you know, we've also spoken about uh, the launching and stuff like that. But uh, another important piece in this uh, whole puzzle is the software that is needed, right? The online infrastructure that is needed for course creators to successfully sell. Um, how much, you know, how important is that for somebody who's just starting off? Um, you know, do people have to start off spending money on these uh, platforms or you know, do you do you usually recommend uh, free platforms for people who start off, uh, even though they don't get their white label branding? So, I, this has my opinion on this has changed over the years. Um, okay. I really thought in the beginning of my business, I was like high quality platform all the way, invest. Um, But at this point in my business and working with so many people, so many course creators, I really think it's about what is the easiest way for your learners to access content and move through it while still having support and accountability. Right. And so that, that answer differs for everybody. I, I have clients who jump straight into Um, investing into an LMS that's super high level and um, caters to all their business needs. And then I have some who are like, I have no idea what I'm doing. I just need something super simple that I can navigate tech-wise. And then, of course, we take into account what does that look like for for your learners. Um, And then we, we build around that. So it really depends on where you're at with your tech journey, with your business journey. Um, and so choosing something that that meets you where you're at. Um, and it, it's why I'm not committed to one platform fits everyone because it doesn't. Got it. Got it. Okay. You know, uh, without, without getting into specific brands as such, you know, uh, there are like so many brands out there when it comes to LMSs and, you know, platforms where courses can be uh, hosted and launched. Um, uh, let's say, uh, you know, you said roughly you've worked with, uh, from what I gathered so far, you, 
majorly you've worked with business coaches, you know, who help people with setting up businesses and stuff like that. And then probably uh, health related fitness and uh, alternative uh, medicine and stuff like that. So what modules of a learning management system, you know, what are the different key important modules that make up a good learning management system for somebody who's going to start off? Um, so I think video is, is an obvious one. Um, okay. so it has to have video uploads, uh, right. as well as, uh, text opportunities. So if you need to write out, um, write out the lessons, clear, right. um, attachments. So where you can upload PDFs. Um, whether that's a workbook or the transcript, these are all very, very basic, um, as well as a, an easy to use interface, um, where they can, it tracks where learners are in their learning process and they can easily go back to it. I would also say that, um, quizzes that give immediate feedback are really important. I've also found that it's hard, it's hard for me to find a learning management platform that has built-in worksheets. Okay. Um, and that's something that I'm hoping uh, comes into play in the next few years in, in learning management systems, because as of right now, all of my clients have to use, uh, have to build PDF workbooks. Um, and I think that's something to look out for if there's assignments that learners and um course creators can have access to uh so that's that's also an important element as well um lastly i want to say surveys um the survey systems for a lot of lms's are not where i would like them to be <laughs> um so a lot of times I have to use Google Forms because I love how I can interact with the data and how my clients right. can interact with the data. Um, right. So that's that's something to definitely take into consideration, as well as testimonials and referral systems, um, because obviously that's that's what brings you more business. So ensuring that you have a way to gather that, whether that's through surveys or um, a built-in system. Got it, Nicole. Just one question, uh, you know, just to clarify. When you said uh, what you don't find in, L uh, in LMS is, is the uh, module where you can create worksheets. So you mean to say at this point in time, you're creating your worksheets outside and then converting it to a PDF and then you're uploading it on the LMS, but you cannot directly go and type it out in the LMS. Is that what you meant? Just trying yeah. to be specific. Okay, cool. Yeah. So like re reflection sheets, um, ways where that you can upload a diagram or a table and then learners can go in and they can draw or write. Um, these are right. things that in the K-12 space exist. Right. But they don't exist for course creators as of right now. Right. Got it. Um, so Nicole, uh, you know, we're talking about, you know, you basically are a consultant, you know, who's helping course creators with a lot of things. Now, tell me how many times you've had to first, um, convince them that they need you 
or do you even uh, talk to those people or uh, do you only talk to people who already know that they need somebody like you oh so funny i in the beginning of my business i was definitely like i need to convince everybody that like, learning matters and that you know impact is more important than income um mm-hmm. therefore they should hire me um, and that didn't really work um, it didn't work for my business. It didn't work for okay. people who are creating courses. Um, so now I'm just kind of like, I talk about what I do and, you know, I ask questions about what their goals are as a course creator. And if they're co- constantly coming back to increasing income and they never talk about ensuring client success and learner success, then I just, I say, I don't think it's a right fit, you know, and and that's okay because I would much rather tell them so that they can find somebody else who aligns with what they value and how they want to create a course so that I don't waste my time and they don't waste theirs. Got it. So um, you're saying, you know, you're not reaching out to somebody's inbox, offering the services that you provide. But, you know, you're just putting out your content there. And then if people relate to what you say and if they feel the need, if they see the value in what you provide, you know, they automatically come to you and then you take it from there. Um, Am I right? Well, I think um, so if we're talking about marketing, I I was kind of taking from the, the viewpoint of they booked a discovery call, right? And I'm on the call with them. And this this comes out, then I'm going to, you know, I'm going to say no. But if we're talking from the marketing point, not from the the sales point, that's very different. I think if I'm seeing somebody who's creating content that, that I think is, is heart centered and you can tell that they care, um, then yes, of course, like reach out. Um, I think, yeah, that, that can be really powerful. Like, Hey, I, I see you a very, you know, you have in-depth content and it really resonates. I'm a course coach, you know, um, have you thought about building a course? I would love to have a chat and a strategy call if you're interested. Like, there's nothing wrong with that. Like, and if they say no, then they say no. But, you know, why not put yourself out there and, like I said, offer help? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, don't assume that they're going to say no. Uh, Allow them to at least say no, rather. Um, And Nicole, uh, you know, we we kind of expect a lot of our listeners to be course creators and coaches and, you know, people who are offering their expertise out there to people. But none of them, most of them think that, you know, all they need is themselves and they just need one tool to create courses and that's about it. But, um, you know, if you have to, you know, kind of break it down and uh, from your experience, if you think they need a team, what does their team look like, including consultants? Mm, to build a course. Yeah. And not only to build a course, uh, you know, uh, entire thing to, you know, to kind of run wow. it successfully. I think, yeah, launching it and then, you know, probably going on to build more and more courses and then kind of succeeding and um, going on to achieve nice things as a solopreneur. Yeah, Um, that's interesting. Like, I I think that everybody's journey is different. 
Right. Um, and it depre- depends how much you're grinding, like, and how many, how effectively you're working and how much um, time you're putting in. Um, so I think for a lot of my clients um, that have seen successful, not only course results, but also course launches, they have already built a community. They have usually have a virtual assistant. Um, they've worked with video editors as well as um, copywriters before, but it might be it might have been on a like contract basis. Right. So they've hired them before. Um, and once they come to me as a course expert, I'm usually one of the the beginning, one of the first, second coaches that they've invested in, in their business. Good. Um, yeah. And, and so that's kind of the team, what it looks like in the start. You don't need to have tons of people on staff um, as long as you set aside time to create this course and, and even um, I, a lot of my clients also hire launch experts um, after they've run through their beta. And, and I think that's great because then they've already made money. They have confidence in their, in their course. They might even hire a business coach in lieu of a, of a launch expert. Um, and, and then they go from there. So it's really, it's about incremental and investing in, um, what you need in the moment. And then you build your team. Once, once you've established consistent income, then you can build a solid team. Got it, Nicole. Uh, Nicole, of all the people, you know, that you've worked with, what is your observation been about the most common mistakes that, you know, uh, entrepreneurs or the solopreneurs that are into creating courses make when they start off for the benefit of, uh, you know, for the benefit of people who are tuning in and, you know, they could probably save some time and effort. Yeah. So um, I think the number one uh, hiccup or problem um, is stepping into the sage on a stage mindset. And what I mean by that is for a lot of us, our education was based off of this idea of someone lecturing in the beginning, in the front of the classroom. And then you sit down, you shut up, you take notes. And a lot of course creators emulate that. And they forget about the fact that they hated being lectured at, um, that they hated being told to sit down, shut up and listen. And, and yet they don't, they have no other ways to create learning experiences. Right. And so if you like, if you're creating a course and I think one of the most powerful things to do is to recall your favorite teachers. And more than likely, those teachers are going to be, and mentors, they're going to be the people that had conversations with you, that facilitated activities, that asked questions, that you felt 
empowered by, right? And then you look at what did they actually do in their classroom? Because sure as anything, they are not going to be at the front of that classroom talking at you. And if you can keep those people in mind, then your course is way ahead of the game because that's what majority of courses out on the mar- on the market are, the state, stage on stage format. And if you can start moving toward something that I call a guide on the side, then you're going to be off to a really good start. Great. Uh, so uh, you said, you know, what's the... What's the mistake that they could be making? And um, you said the exact same mistake, uh, the exact same thing that, you know, as students, what you didn't like is exactly what you're going to be making as a teacher. But um, to come out of that mistake, uh, you said something like, you know, bite in the side. Am I correct? Guide, is that what you meant? guide on the bite side. Bite in the side? Yeah. Like a, guide uh, on the side. Okay. Yeah. Okay, uh, can we can we break it down a little bit? You know, if you can share one or two actionable pointers as to you know what exactly that looks like as compared to uh, you know being on the stage giving out that boring lectures like how we were used to receiving them. Yeah, so a guide on the side. I like to think about um, a mountain guide. Okay, and if you've ever right. been. Right hiking or on a mountain, um, even if you've been on a tour, right, um, uh, in, a, in a city, what those guides are going to do is they're going to give you information, right? And then they're going to stop after a little while, okay? And they're going to ensure that you're okay, that you understand what they said, that you feel empowered to continue going, to continue moving up on that mountain. And that's exactly what a great teacher does is they give you information, they teach you information, and then they pause and they facilitate application so that you're actually using it. It's, It's useful in solving your problem and improving your life or your business. Um, whereas in the lecture format, the sage on a stage, all they're doing is throwing information at you, but there's only so much information that the brain can take in without getting rid of it. Right. Right. In fact, our our brains start to shut down after 15 minutes of trying to absorb new information. So if you, if you have a teacher who's lecturing at you for an hour, you're going to, you're going to have a sixth of that, you're going to remember a sixth, or I'm sorry, a, a fourth of that. <laughs> kind of quick math. Um, if if not, um, whereas a guide on the side, you're going to remember majority of what they teach you because you know how to use it. Got it. Got it. Uh, so it bought. So okay. Now it is two different things, right? When it comes to you know, let's say you do the same thing, you know, you be a guide on the side in a real uh, time classroom atmosphere, it's a different thing. But then uh, when you're trying to replicate this online, I think that's when uh, things like creating a five minute bite sized video comes followed by probably a worksheet or a problem uh, that is linked to the topic that you just taught. 
I think uh, this is where uh, earlier when you mentioned the important modules that are needed in a platform, you said uh, the quizzes and the worksheets and all these things. So the course flow is going to be an alternating thing between, you know, a lecture followed by a quiz, followed by a worksheet and stuff like that. So is this what would be uh, close to an ideal uh, course delivery look like, uh, Nicole? Yeah, definitely. Um, yeah, I would. This is how I guide my clients in structuring their courses. It's, um, but there's one element that comes before instruction that is uh, that skyrockets memory and retention, and that's okay. a warm up. And okay, uh, a warm up question or activity is exactly what it says. It's um, you're connecting to prior knowledge experiences. Um, and when you do that, you get those neural pathways firing and you do it in a strategic way so that once those neural pathways right. are firing, you teach the new information and that new information will create connected neurological pathways to what you brought up in the warm-up question. Um, and then from there, obviously you teach and then the activity, and then you do a quick assessment to ensure that the teaching that you taught the content well, and if you didn't, then maybe you need to improve that, that lesson and teach it better. Got it. Uh, Nicole, uh, moving on, uh, to, you know, some of the operational, um, operational things that one has to encounter. Let's say, for example, um, you know, when it comes to accessing courses, you know, people buy course and they might, you know, share it amongst all of their friends. And, you know, as a course creator, uh, it's very important for you that, you know, uh, each one of them buy it so that, you know, it's a business at the end of the day for you. So um, I'm sure there are a lot of solutions for uh, these problems on the platforms but uh, may not be on the basic ones, right? So do people even have to worry about it uh, or, you know, take it in their stride, uh, talking as, you know, taking it as uh, any publicity is better publicity. Okay, at least I know that people are uh, looking at my content and it's kind of a validation. Yeah, that's, that's an interesting one. Um, I don't know, from, from my perspective in the education world, um, I mean, I would like to say the, the educator in me is like, knowledge is free, um, but you can't, you can't build a business on that, right? And you can't right. run uh, your life as a course creator. Right. So right. I think what's important is expectations. And we talk about this in the education sense, but I think it's also really important when it comes to your business. And you need to set the expectations. Just tell people like I have worked this hard. I've worked incredibly long hours. I have put my heart and soul into this and this is my baby. This is my work. And I would really appreciate it. If, if you want to give people access to the content, please share, please sign up as an affiliate, right? And send right. them your affiliate link so you can get a cash kickback. Right. Or or maybe like you offer something else to sweeten the deal, like a 30 minute one on one session or something. But 
just being honest with people. And generally speaking, if you are, if your dream client cares about you and your business because you've invested in them, you've created that relationship, they're not going to just randomly give out your content. They're going to be be like, oh, you know, I want to support this business. It's it's the same thing that I do with music. Like if I don't, if I support an artist in who they are and their music, I am going to go buy their music, right? If I don't, then I'm right. not going to buy it. And I'm I'm not going to rip it off and take it from someone else. That's that's personally, that's what I value, right? I realize not everybody is like that, but yeah. <laughs> I want to honor human beings, right? And sometimes you just need to remind people that that this is this is probably how it should go. <laughs> very simple and a straightforward approach, but could turn out to be a very effective one. You know, nothing like appealing to people's um sensitivities if i can say that you know like truly putting yourself out there saying you know this is how much it means to me so if you really want to do something despite that if they do it okay you know you do whatever is in your control sort of a thing right exactly. um got it uh nicole uh here's my next question with a big if if for all you think there are certain trends that are developing uh, do you think, first of all, there are trends developing? If you if you do think, what are those trends that you know the online course creators uh, kind of have to be aware of, um, say in the next twelve months or so? Oh, geez. Um, so I, I think that the course industry is absolutely booming. Um, okay. So I think it's being aware that if you do want to create a course that you are probably going to be a, a small fish in a very, very big pond. Um, but that's okay if you build your community and know who you can reach. Um, and I, I, think, I think that's really important for, for newbie course creators um, or even you know people who've created courses and don't have a large community. Um, as far as other trends, I'm trying to think of, of <laughs> like, um, like, you know, uh, say for example, uh, the content delivery, uh, not in terms of the structure or whatever we discussed earlier, but say, um, a whiteboard animation video. I'm just saying for an example now, especially given, you know, the introduction of, uh, AI voices, and, you know, there are AI video uh, creating tools and stuff like that, right? Uh, you can just input some text and there's this platform that can assemble pictures for you and create a video out of it, you know, those sort of things. Okay. So I'm, I'm so glad that you brought that up. Um, <laughs> so a few things that I've seen is learning management platforms. If they haven't already had a community section, or even if they have... Hmm. They're updating it and they're making them more robust. So they're adding right. a lot more features within their community. I've also seen an uptick in right. memberships. So uh, right. a lot of LMSs are adding that on top of it, um, which is wonderful for community building because um, whether that's prior to having and launching a course or after launching a course, uh, providing that support. For your community. 
Um, so I think those are things to really utilize in, in learning management platforms. I would also say, so AI um, has actually been huge in my, my business and is a wonderful tool to help declutter your brain. So a lot of the course creators that I work with are overwhelmed with ideas and they don't know where to start. And AI is an incredible tool to help you determine where to start, what people are looking for, what questions people are asking. And, and to have that, that conversation with, with an AI bot that, um, that is aggregating all that this data is just unprecedented. So use that to create your freebies, to write blog articles, to push out content, um, even to develop masterclasses uh, where you can lead into a your course that you're launching. Um, that can be an, an incredibly powerful tool. Got it, Nicole. Nicole, uh, from what you said, a couple of things that I'd like to touch upon. Um, the first one is this, right? You spoke about masterclasses a um, number of times in this conversation. And then, you know, from what I understand, you look at masterclass as a starting point for somebody to come and join your course. Can you uh, walk through this concept of masterclass and how as a tool masterclasses can be used for people to get new students? Yeah. So a masterclass is a education experience hosted by a master of their craft and the students who step into that masterclass, um, whether it's it's for free or they're paying, are going to be high. Um, I don't want to say high caliber. That's not the right word, but uh, they are really focused on whatever the masterclass is offering. So right. um, it's not just a willy nilly thing that they're like, ah, oh, yeah, I'll attend this webinar. Um, it's serious business, um, <laughs> if you will. And, <laughs> right. and I would categorize a masterclass as about 90 minutes long. Some people will say that it's longer. Um, I would say if it's okay. longer, then, then I would call that a mini course. Um, and it needs to be broken up. Uh, but a masterclass is really to help people learn something new and master a skill, a very, very small skill, because there's only so much that you can do in 90 minutes. And then the idea is if we're thinking about um, education progression, is that they've experienced this small learning experience with you and they've achieved results and therefore they want more, right? They know that what you provide works. So they're going to invest in your services more, whether that means buying your course, buying a mini course, um, a boot camp, your one-to-one services. The idea is the proof is in the pudding and a masterclass is, is a group setting that will get them there. So, and I feel like I should, I should mention that a lot of times for my clients, I recommend that they have a three-part education progression because some people okay. are not necessarily ready to invest um, at a high ticket price to buy a course or your one-to-one mm-hmm. services. Mm-hmm. So before a right. masterclass, you should have a freebie available 
you should have something that's high value that they can exchange their email for. Um, and then you also should have something that they invest low to mid ticket. So they understand like, okay, this person is, I'm, they're, I'm willing to pay for what they're teaching. And that warms them up to the idea, oh, I'm willing to pay for a transformational course. Great. Got it. Um, and another thing that I was wanting to touch upon was the community part you were talking about, you know, which is very important to be a part of the learning management system. Now, one is, of course, having the structure for community and then, you know, even people being a part of it the moment they buy your course and stuff like that. But how do you keep the community like thriving every single day, you know, and how do you not let it go to sleep over a period of a few days? Yeah, I, I think um, one of my former clients is a Forex expert and trader. Um, and he has a course on uh, teaching people how to trade currencies in Forex. Um, <laughs> so what he does is... Sorry, is, uh, Nicole, I lost you a little bit. How to? He teaches people how to navigate Forex so that they can earn money. Got it. Got it. Got it. Yeah. Okay. Um, so, and for people who don't know what Forex is, that's foreign exchange. So um, exchanging currencies. So what he does on his Slack channel is he has um, an overall board and then he has subtopics. And he is in there at the beginning when he launched his course, he was in that Slack channel every single day posting what he was doing with his trades for Forex. Right. He was also commenting and responding to questions. Right. Um, and then on the sub threads, he was in, engaging in that way as well. So he had, he had a plan. He knew what he was going to post every single day. And he was ensuring that he was responding to everybody within um, each of those feeds. Now right. that's a little that's a little intense, um, but it's going to get you results because people are going to notice that you're there. Right. Um, one of my other clients, what she does is every um, Thursday she shows up and she answers questions and responds to comments. She also does another day of the week where she does a um, a Q and A, but ask for big questions about the module that they're going over that week. And then she records a video giving direct answers. Or if she doesn't record, if she doesn't need the video, then she'll just type it into the community. So I think the most important thing about keeping communities going is to demonstrate, to, to act as the example, and people will follow suit. Got it. You got to put yourself out there. Treat it like another Instagram page of yours and be uh, active as much as you are on your social media handles, probably. Um, Nicole, uh, this is this is probably my last set of questions. Uh, I'm not sure how much I do have in this set, but I can sense that this is going to be uh, because a lot of things that we've covered. But uh, this is one thing that I'd like to ask, right? Now, uh, what I gather from what you've spoken so far is most of your clients are focused, you know, they are experts in one topic. 
uh, and they are actually sharing knowledge. Now, have you had clients, you know, where they've seen the course creation um, industry as a business and, you know, they've wanted to kind of, um, in a small way, assemble experts, create courses uh, through them and then kind of create a marketplace sorts or a client, you know, who's a jack of all trades trying to create courses in different uh, domains. So have you come across uh, these types of creators as well? I, I have, but I haven't worked directly with them. Right. Um, I have worked with online schools and those are a little bit different because they have a niche. Um, so I was a part of founding a, um, a life coaching school right. online and yeah. that, you know, we will be adding more courses to help our coaches, but that's still very specific um, topic area. Uh, and with that being said, those those people who are creating schools um, oftentimes need the structure uh, to give those people who are coming in and hosting courses, um, masterclass, what have you, um, right. they need that, that learning structure to be the same so that is consistent for their learners. So I actually, I have worked on those learning structures before um, because they have to be, they have to be super broad. Um, but that's definitely not my, my specialty and not my bread and board butter. Yeah, got it. Um, I thought so too, <laughs> because uh, yeah, that's a, that's a whole different thing. And uh, one other question, uh, Nicole, you know, you uh, spoke about one of the important things that are needed as part of an LMS from a course creation point of view, or a course building point of view. But from a business operation point of view, what are the things that you need are very uh, important? You know, uh, it's a, it's a you know, what are the deal breakers for you? Let's not go to the luxuries of it. But let's talk about deal breakers at least. Yeah. So um, if... If an LMS doesn't have an easily navigation, if you can't easily navigate, navigatable, yeah, um, easily navigatable uh, landing pages. Right. If you can't create those easily, then that's a no. Um, okay. If the the login portal and the payment portals are hard to navigate, um, that's a that's a major no. Those are those are vital for for your business. Um, okay. And uh, yeah, for the course creation, selling of courses. Um, I would also say that testimonial systems, or at least an integration, is an absolute must. If you don't right. have it, how right. how are you going to do that? You're going to have to do it all manually, um, as well as referral systems. So affiliate affiliate links and affiliate codes are incredibly important, as well right. as um, uh, coupon codes could also be considered important as well as bundles um, because those are all really, really powerful. Um, right. I think a secondary um, might be uh, like a funnel system. Um, if you can't figure out how to create a funnel on an LMS, right. um, then that could be problematic uh, because then you're losing out on people that you could help impact 
and, and that you could, um, you could sell other products too. Got it, Nicole. Um, Nicole, in the starting, you know, in the very start, you spoke about uh, one of the most important things for course creators is to figure out what do their learners look like, you know, as much visualization as possible. Um, I mean, if not a deep dive, do you have a bare uh, structure of, okay, you know what, these kind of learners fall into one category. And, you know, you do have at least three to four types of learners um, or uh, is that what you meant or, you know, what you meant was something different? So I think I think that there's a difference between um, like your ideal client avatar, uh, what right. I call your dream client and right. how they learn. Right. Because they're more than just how they learn that that's just that informs um, how you're going to teach them. So. If we're talking about learning styles, then there's four visual, auditory, kinesthetic and reading and writing. Yeah. Um, So you have to know that about your learners. Um, But you also need to know a variety of other things like there are demographics. So these are the this is the simple stuff that a lot of um, marketing experts bring up. Right. So what's their job? What's their age? What's their gender? Um, Where do they live? blah, blah, blah. Right. What I like to, to talk more about is how do they move through their day? Right. What are they worried about? Right. How much time do they have? How much money are they willing to invest in themselves or how much money are they willing to invest in other people? Yeah. Right. Same thing with time. Um, what are, what are their deepest desires? Like, what does their dream life look like? And what does their actual day look like from start to finish? Right. And so this is something that I walk my clients through. And um, and I this is not my point of expertise, but this is just everything that I've gathered from all the business and marketing experts and storytelling experts that I've worked with. Um, because the the story of, of someone's life is more important than anything else. Um, we run on stories. And if we understand our dream client story, then we understand how we can reach them better and how we can get them results. Wow. Okay. Uh, I'm going to come back to that point just to chat uh, with you a little bit about that. But before I go there, I just have a couple more questions about this learner type of thing itself. Now, you said, you know, uh, from a consumer point of view, from a consumption point of view, there is, um, you know, visual auditory kinesthetic, and then reading and writing. Now, let's say, has there been a situation, uh, Nicole, because uh, for every course, uh, there are going to exist learners uh, that belong to all of these types. Has there been a client of yours yet? Or have you thought about this, you know, just one course, but then create it uh, for people who are more inclined towards visual learning? uh, And then one, the same content created uh, for people uh, specifically uh, who are more inclined towards uh, auditory and the other two things. Has this has this ever been a part of something that you've done? So I would never recommend that you create different courses for different types of learners um, because that is so much effort on the course creator's end. But what I do recommend is that you ensure your course caters to all types of learners. And especially Mm. 
to your dream clients. Because sometimes, you know, you could, you could think that your dream clients are all visual learners, but that doesn't mean that they're not also reading and writing learners as well as a secondary. Right. right. right? So you want to be well-rounded and there's really easy strategies that you can use to cater to majority visual auditory and reading and writing learners kinesthetic learners it's a little bit more difficult um and and requires an additional strategy but it's completely possible to cater to them as well got it nicole um and uh, one uh, final question in this part right uh, when you spoke about types of learners of course from a business point of view you figure out but then uh, uh, have you had an opportunity or have you found yourself working where you know you've had to cater to special needs learners uh, you know people with a different way of uh, you know uh, listening capabilities or you know some special uh, needs learners is what i mean uh, to say who are specially abled if i can say that Yeah. People having problems with attention. Yeah, definitely. I think um um <laughs> Okay, so I'll I'll set I'll set attention uh to the side and <laughs> because we can we can talk okay. about that afterwards, but um when it comes okay. to other types of uh of learners, when it comes to auditory abilities, visual abilities, um I think it's really important that once again you know your clientele and you cater to them. Um I try to encourage all of my clients if they can to provide transcripts for their um mm, their video right. lessons. That's pretty that should be pretty right. standard practice. Um okay. and if someone is visually impaired then it's pretty easy for them to take that transcript and then to have it printed out and transcribed into braille um right that that covers um auditory and and visual um and so that's an easy access point when it comes to yeah pretty straightforward yeah when it comes to attention i think uh so many of us in this modern world are suffering um from being unable to focus our attention on something for long periods of time yeah now we know from clinical studies from medical studies that after 15 to 20 minutes our brains start to shut down and i said this before but i will say it again um so everyone out there who's listening to this if you've been learning for more than 15 minutes go take a break um so um yeah so i think making our lessons shorter more concise and getting people to get up and do something um and use that information uh, that's incredibly important um and if you can do that then i think you're not just catering to your learners who have add and adhd but you're just catering to generations of people who have been conditioned to not sit down and focus and you're not going to change somebody and by you know creating an entertaining 25 minute video um 
that's not that's not going to help their brain. You're not going to change their habits, um, but you can help change whatever your your transformation is that that you promise. Um, it might be habits, um, <laughs> but you you still wouldn't record a 25 minute video, right? Um, you'd probably be more uh, create more of an impact with a five to 15 minute video. Got it. And uh, last question. Uh, this this is you know I was fascinated about the point where you spoke about how you picked up things from all the course creators that you worked with. You know, uh, one of the uh, key advantages that you have, I think, doing what you do is <laughs> learn a lot of things, a lot of special things from all of these course creators firsthand. For example, uh, the business coaches that you work with, you know, you get to learn so much about, okay, how the business works and stuff like that. And you, uh, one of the most interesting things that you spoke about is the storytelling aspect, you know, how if you can create a story about your customer and then, you know, uh, that's one thing. So how is this this experience of yours been like, does it get too overwhelming sometimes or do you have FOMO sometimes? Do you secretly make notes and stuff? Oh my gosh. I, <laughs> yeah, I, it's hard when I'm in the moment, it's hard to step out of my teaching shoes and step into my learning shoes. Um, or step, you know, I'm, I'm coaching, I'm consulting. Um, it's a hybrid of the two. So I, I don't necessarily, I pick up bits and pieces and, um, and I take what, what resonates with me. Um, but it's very rare that I actually go back to the finished course and rewatch it like a learner. Um, although I have access to all of it. Um, it's just like things just stick with me. And, but I love that. Like I'm, I am a lifelong learner. I'm, you know, I'm a, I'm a Gemini. If you know what that means, like I'm a communicator. Like I just love just absorbing as much information as possible. Um, so I'm a Gemini too. Oh yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Perfect. This is why we're chatting. Podcasts are perfect for, for Gemini's. Right. Um, but yeah, I just, I, I pick up what I can. And sometimes I go back to the content and I'm like, I know that Emily said something about this and, um, and I'm, I'm going to go search for this lesson because I think it's really powerful. Yeah. Um, and then oftentimes I'll like, you know, I might post it on social media and tag my client and be like, ah, her course is so amazing. Right. <laughs> like, so it's, it's a full loop. Um, I take advantage of it, but not to the fullest extent that I probably could. I think that was my last question, Nicole. Uh, Should be fascinating uh, doing what you do. Uh, I can totally feel the excitement, uh, you know, being here because, you know, just having to interact with all the experts, uh, because that's something that you feel secondhand when you read books, right? Just imagine talking to the authors themselves instead of reading some of the books that they read. I think that's the experience that you must be getting. Um, thank you so much. Uh, would like to hear uh, what you felt about this uh, podcast. Uh, we've uh, never realized uh, it's going to be like an hour and 45 minutes, but that's what it is. Um, are you tired? Uh, did you lose attention at any point? No, no. Actually, I was surprised. I was like, 
I don't know how many questions he can ask me, but <laughs> we'll see if we can get to the, the 90 minute mark. And, and you did, um, we got past oh, that. So, yeah. um, thank you. Thank you for asking great questions. Um, I, I didn't know what to expect coming into today. Um, so, uh, this, it's been a great conversation. Thank you. This podcast is brought to you by Edison OS a no-code edtech platform to operate an online education business. Knowledge entrepreneurs can use Edison OS to sell online courses from their own websites, manage online masterclasses, launch mobile learning apps, sell online practice tests for competitive exams, run online learning communities, digitizing their offline tutoring business, use it as a learning management system, and a lot more cases in the domain of knowledge commerce.